Hello, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Horizon Church in Allentown, Pennsylvania. We want to help people connect with God and connect with each other. If you'd like to know more about us, you can go to our website at horizonconnect.org. Enjoy. God, thanks for how you have worked in our lives and how you invite us to, to continue your work in the world around us. God, I pray that you would be stretching us always. Sometimes, God, the very best place for us to be is a place of um, uncomfort where we are not comfortable with who we are and how we think and what we're doing. We don't like to be there. Um, we'd rather be just kind of happy all the time. But God, you, um, it seems you're always pushing your people into uncomfortable places. And it turns out, God, that that's where we grow. So I pray, God, that you'd be doing that uh, for us in our lives, even as a church as a whole, that you'd be doing that and help us to grow. God, we are about to engage with you through your written eternal word, and our confidence in you is firm. But should I stray from truth by mistake or misunderstanding, please guard us from any influence that might lead us to a house built on sand. Where your truth intersects with our lives, we pray that you will transform us into people who are growing more and more in every way like Christ. And shape us, Father, through your Spirit's presence, so that in all ways we live truth in love. Amen. So I know that a lot of you uh, are, um, you know, watching the clock and, and um, thinking, holy smokes. Um, I, I knew that. I knew that we were going to be doing some very important things today, so I wrote a, a short message. That should comfort you. Um, usually my messages that are about 14 pages. I wrote it short today, so it's like 13 and three-quarter. Um, now, Ephesians chapter 2 we're going to be looking at. Um, and grab your Bibles or follow along with what we put in the screen. I want to show you, this is um, actually, this is a, a stone. Um, a stone from our 20-year-old garden that is just outside the front porch of our house. And I know that um, parents shouldn't have favorite stones, but um, this is actually a favorite stone. This is one of my favorite stones because it has almost a perfect right angle. And from the day that I found this stone in the woods up at our farm in Kempton and threw it into my wheelbarrow for my wall, I knew from the moment I saw this stone with the perfect right angle, I knew that this was going to go on the top layer of my wall, front corner on the top, and it did 20 years ago. But given 20 seasons of spring rain and 20 seasons of winter freezing and 20 seasons of summer sun, my favorite stone is no longer stuck in my wall. Uh, there's an old poem by Robert Frost called The Mending Wall, and the first line of that poem is, Something there is that doesn't love a wall. It's a great poem by Robert Frost. It tells a story, and it tells a story of two farmers who every spring, they agree to join and meet 
where their properties intersect at a wall and to walk the wall and fix the stone wall that divides mine from his. And every spring without fail, the springs, the wind, the rain, the sun, the ice, traipsing hunters and burrowing animals every spring, they have all done their work and the wall needs repair every spring. And so Robert Frost had a farmer say, something there is that doesn't love a wall. We human beings have always been really good at building walls, and sometimes for good reason. Staying warm, making a garden, getting tourists to visit a very remote region of China. But as Robert Frost's Farmers return fallen rocks to their proper spots in the wall. Robert Frost has the farmer ponder this wall thing. And on a day we meet to walk the line and set the wall between us once again. We keep the wall between us as we go. And then this farmer's farmer neighbor says a famous line that still gets said today, good fences make good neighbors. But Robert Frost, farmers, ponders in the poem, why? Why do they make good neighbors? Before I built a wall, I'd ask to know, what was I walling in or walling out? And to whom was I like to give offense? Something there is that doesn't love a wall, that wants it down. Well, I know who that something is who doesn't love a wall, and so do you. In a letter written by a very brilliant Jewish scholar named Paul, this is what Paul wrote about God and walls. Now, I'll tell you from Ephesians chapter 2 that when we read this, that a wall is only mentioned one time and very briefly, but I think you'll agree when we read this, that tearing down walls is absolutely the theme. Ephesians chapter 2 I'm going to start reading at verse 11 if you want to follow along. Verse 11, I'll read to verse 18. Don't forget that you Gentiles, is anybody here Jewish? Okay, so is anybody here a Gentile? Yeah, that's all of you who did not raise your hand to be Jewish. Uh, Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies, not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises of God that God had made to them. You lived in this world without God, without hope. But now you've been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. 
For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who are far away from him and peace to Jews who were near. And now all of us can come to God our Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Now you may know, some of you may know, that Paul, when he wrote that 2,000 years ago, that Paul was addressing a very deep, division between Jewish people and Gentile people, a division that was already 2,000 years old, 2,000 years ago. In Paul's day, Paul was addressing this because it had become a crisis in the church, because in the church 2,000 years ago, there were both Jews and Gentiles trying to make it work in the church, both of them followers of a very Jewish Messiah, trying to figure out how do we make this work. And at the time that Paul was writing about that very deep division, you may also know that there was an actual wall, a very real wall that divided Jewish people from Gentile people. Now, the temple uh, that we think of as the Jewish temple, that Jewish temple has not existed since the Romans destroyed it in Jerusalem in the year 70 AD. That means that there is not a single person alive today who has ever seen the Jewish temple. Now, you can drive around and see Jewish synagogues called temples sometimes, but they are not the temple. There's not a single person alive who has ever seen the Jewish temple. And so that means there's not a single person alive who understands the animosity the deep hostility that, that existed between Jews and Christians at that day. When Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago, the temple still existed. It was in a temple complex that Herod the Great, who was the Herod when Jesus was born, in a temple complex that Herod the Great had ordered built. And when Paul was writing this, that temple complex still existed. Back in the day when it was built, that temple complex all around the Roman world was considered to be one of the top five architectural marvels of the ancient world. People from all over the world went to see that temple. Jesus spent significant time in that temple. There's a great story of when Jesus was 12 years old, he got separated from his parents, remember? And he spent a couple days in this particular temple. There is today in Jerusalem, uh, there's a scale model of what this temple complex probably looked like 2,000 years ago. This gives you a little bit of an idea of what it would have looked like. The temple complex that was built, that Herod ordered to be built, was something like 35 acres. And that whole temple complex was surrounded by one massive retaining wall. That's, I don't know if you 
Um, can you see that little, can you see this? Right? Okay, so that's the retaining wall right there. And that retaining wall surrounded this whole 35-acre temple complex. That section of the wall, by the way, that little section of the retaining wall, that still exists. Uh, it's called the Western Wall, or sometimes the Wailing Wall. And that is it right there. Now, the top, the top couple, just so you know, the top 12, 13, 14, top couple dozen rows of stones have fallen and been rebuilt and fallen and rebuilt. So the top couple layers are not original, but that's the wall that exists today. Now, just so you know, just to orient you with what you're looking at if you ever get there, up there where those trees are and the Dome of the Rock, that up there would be that temple complex. The Al-Aqsa Mosque is right there, the Dome of the Rock. And that 35 or so acre property is still there. That's where the temple would have existed 2,000 years ago. Now, in addition to that retaining wall, this temple complex that existed in Paul's day, that temple complex had all kinds of walls. The furthest away from the temple itself was what's called, and I don't know if you can read this blue, but the furthest away was, there's the retaining wall. The furthest away was what is called the courtyard of the Gentiles. That's what it says in blue, if you can see that at all. That was the courtyard of the Gentiles. But just inside the courtyard of the Gentiles was another wall. And on that wall in 1871, a stone was found that was part of that wall when Paul was there. And in Greek and Latin, that stone says, let no Gentile enter inside this barrier and the wall surrounding the sanctuary. Whoever is caught will be the cause of death, following as a penalty. Jews took this wall thing pretty seriously. In Acts chapter 21, there's a great story about an episode where Paul, who was Jewish, Paul had arrived in Jerusalem to visit the temple. He was with some Gentile Christians, and as was Paul's custom, Paul went to the temple as a Jew. Since he was traveling with some Gentiles, several Jewish leaders assumed that Paul had taken his Gentile friends inside that barrier. He had not, but they thought he did. And the thought alone was enough to cause a Jewish riot. Paul was dragged out of the temple. He was beaten severely as the Jewish leaders tried to beat him to death. He was rescued by the Roman soldiers who never liked it when their Jewish subjects rebelled. The Jews were serious about that wall, keeping the Gentiles out. Now, inside the court of the Gentiles, where the Gentiles were allowed out here, inside this court of the Gentiles was another wall. And inside that wall was the court of women. That's where Jewish women were allowed. Inside the court of women was another wall. And inside that wall, that's where Jewish males, 12 years old and older, were allowed. And inside that was the temple building itself, where there was a wall. And inside that temple building, 
Only Jewish priests from particular Jewish families were allowed. And inside that building was another wall. And inside that wall was the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest was allowed to go once a year. So if you understand that whole temple complex, you understand that there is an expanding series of walls. And the whole idea behind those walls was to keep people far away from God. And those who were thought to be the most distant from God were the ones who were kept farthest away from God. That's what walls will do. But something there is that doesn't love a wall, that wants it down. And that is God. And so God invades, and through Jesus Christ, God has torn down the walls. Paul said in his body on the cross, Christ broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He made peace. And literally, in A.D. 70, just as Jesus predicted, Rome tore down those walls. And the temple has not existed since. But as you know, and as Paul is talking about, the walls that came down from the temple are not the only walls that existed. Paul used that image of walls to talk about symbolic walls that existed. Walls that keep people away from God by degrees. Those are walls that we can't necessarily see, but we know they exist. And Jesus was very good at tearing down walls. One time there were parents who wanted to bring their children to Jesus. They wanted Jesus to bless their children. Children were not necessarily high on the priority list of the disciples. I don't know why exactly, but they weren't. They just didn't think that Children belonged with Jesus, so they tried to keep the children away from Jesus. Jesus saw that and became indignant. Let the children come to me, he said, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as them. One time Jesus met a Samaritan woman at a well. Long story. Just know it was the wrong place, wrong time, wrong person. Jews and Samaritans had 500 years of hostility between them. Long time to carry a grudge, but they did. In this story, Jesus ended up being alone with this woman. Now, she would have stayed on the far side of the well. She would not have even looked at Jesus. She would pretend that Jesus didn't even exist, like a teenager at an AARP convention (laughs) or an Eagles fan at a Dallas Cowboys bar where their fans are meeting. They would have pretended we don't see each other. And then Jesus asked her for a drink, and she was stunned. You, a Jew, a man, asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? This isn't supposed to happen. But it did. Jesus was always tearing down walls. 
a hated, traitorous tax collector, climbed a tree to see Jesus. Jesus went to his house for dinner. A group of lepers obeyed the very rigid, very strict laws, and they stood at a distance far away from Jesus, shouting, first of all, unclean, unclean, and then asking Jesus for help. And Jesus started to close the distance, making everyone there very, very uncomfortable, and then getting so close to the lepers that he could touch them. A healing came later, but I've often wondered if the miracle didn't start with just a touch. A woman with a very sordid past slid through the shadows one evening because she knew Jesus was going to be at a public dinner. She kept to the shadow. She managed to sneak up to Jesus' feet and pour perfume on his feet. Back in the day, that was an incredible act of honor and devotion. When the smell of perfume started wafting in the room, every respectable person in that crowd at that dinner looked at her and got awfully quiet, watching and judging and thinking, thinking if the rabbi only knew who this woman was, he would be repulsed. Well, it turns out he knew. Turns out he was glad for her redemption because Jesus tears down walls. Children, Samaritans, women, traitors, lepers, sick people, people with records, people with pasts, all of them were people who would have been on the far side of the wall, all of them. For generations, for generations, these were people who were kept outside the wall, but something there is that doesn't love a wall that wants it down. And you know who that is. In his body, on the cross, Christ broke down the wall of hostility that separates us, and he made peace. He made peace. Here's something I've discovered about me. Sometimes we followers of Jesus Christ are very good at living in the past, in the world of Jesus, in the world of Paul, in the world of Samaritans and temples and lepers. When we hear stories like this and look at images of walls, we shake our heads at temple walls, and we can't imagine a group of people who could be so blind as to build walls to keep out women and keep out Gentiles. It's hard to imagine, we think. It's hard to imagine making laws that would force a group of sick people to stand at a distance and shout, unclean, so that all the passers-by would know to keep a distance. Such ignorance is hard to imagine. Thank God Jesus tore down those walls. Thank God. So I wonder if Jesus thinks that the walls that we allow to stand are simply more respectable. Something there is that doesn't love a wall, that wants it down. And I think that's still true of Jesus. In his body on the cross, Jesus broke down the walls of hostility that separate us, and he made peace. 
Some of the walls we struggle with are obvious. We've talked about them. Carol talked about one. But there are some other walls. A woman loses her husband of 36 years. They were married when they were both 21. Their only son now lives in Texas. It was terribly, terribly hard when it happened. Her church was absolutely wonderful. On the day after the funeral, she got out of bed on a rainy morning, and she knew that from this day forward, her world was never going to be the same. It's like there was a hole, and she knew this hole would never be filled anywhere she went, ever. What surprised her and what troubled her and what made her even angry sometimes was that everyone else just went on with their lives. It was as if no one else saw the hole that she carried around all the time. And someday she wanted to shout at people, don't you know the world is not the same anymore? Don't you care? That's the wall that grief builds. A man cheated on his wife. He wasn't even necessarily looking to cheat. Didn't go to clubs. He didn't go to bars looking for an affair. He didn't even think about cheating He didn't even think about flirting with the young girl he worked with. He didn't watch porn late at night, nothing like that. They went to church together. They built a nice life. But a friendship got started very innocently. And then there was the day when he and this young woman crossed a tiny line when they went for a walk together at lunch and shared a tiny hug innocently. And it felt good to him. It felt good. It filled an emptiness inside of him, and then more lines started to get crossed, and an affair got started. And one day, his wife saw a text. He confessed. He ended it immediately. They're getting counseling. But all of his friends at church know, because for a while, at his wife's request, which he honored, he went and lived with his brother for a while, although he's back home now. There's no intimacy in his marriage anymore. He doesn't blame his wife at all. He accepts it. But she doesn't touch him. They sit together at church, but there's a distance. He doesn't know if he has a future. There's a wall. And he's more alone in this world than he ever thought possible. A single mom from Indiana moved to Allentown because of a new job. She has no family in the area. In fact, when she's honest, she's actually glad she left her family behind. There's a history of alcoholism and abuse, and she didn't have any trouble leaving it behind. Her dysfunctional family in Indiana, they were churchgoers because almost everybody in Indiana is a churchgoer in the small Bible Belt town from which she lived. She, however, never really found anything very real in church, except for a couple friends she made in youth group, because she could never figure out how is it that a mom and a dad and a grandfather could do what they did to me during the week, but get all spiffy on Sunday morning and pretend. So she stopped going as soon as she could. You sit next to her at soccer practice, 
where your little boys run around chasing a soccer ball like a flock of chickens chasing a butterfly. Here, they are everywhere. You didn't know her story. What you know is she's alone. There's this whole mask thing, this whole social distancing thing. So at the end of practice, she and her son have always stood up and left. As soon as practice ends, you notice sometimes that at the end of practice, she'll stand up and fold up her chair and look around. But everybody else knows each other. So other than a hi, no one says much to her. So one day, you inch a little bit closer. You ask if it's okay to sit next to her. Sure, she says. Turns out she is willing and happy to talk to someone. She's so alone, she says. COVID has just made it so much harder. She's just so alone. And she says every evening is the same. Make dinner, bath time, read a book to my son, put him to bed, watch some TV till I'm exhausted, go to sleep, get up, and do it all over again. Just so alone, living on the far side of a wall. Do you think when Paul wrote about the wall between Jews and Gentiles, that that was the only wall he cared about? I don't think so. Something there is that doesn't love a wall. And I know who doesn't love a wall. And so do you. In his own body, on the cross, Christ broke down the wall and made peace. God has given to us, to our church, along with thousands of other churches, a gift. He's given to us men and women who have been trained to care, to bring the peace of Christ, allowing Jesus Christ to tear down walls. Our Stephen ministers are not professionals, they're not counselors, they're not therapists, but they have been trained to care. And care in the name of Jesus Christ breaks down walls. God is asking you and I to care about the walls that are around us. And because we've been given a gift, I'm going to ask you to do these things. Number one, be aware of people in our church, among your friends, where you work, people who might benefit from being matched with someone who is trained to care you can offer the possibility of care. If you're not sure how or what it means, talk to any of our Stephen ministers if you have questions. Talk to our Stephen ministers about, how do I talk to someone I think needs help? What do I say to them? It's very easy, actually. It's as simple as saying to your friends, you know, there are some people at our church who are trained to come alongside people who are hurting and grieving or lonely or struggling. They really do care. Would you mind if I give them your name? Or would you mind if I ask them to call you? Would that be okay? 
These people don't need to be from our church. They don't need to be from any church to receive care. Even though what we're doing is offering Christ-centered care, we will not insist that a person know Jesus Christ before we offer care. We say it's Christ-centered because we mean and we believe that Christ is always present, even if we don't mention his name and even if we don't pray. But we believe that Jesus is tearing down walls no matter how far away a person might be. So be on the lookout. Number two, maybe it's you. Maybe you could use some care. Talk to any of our Stephen ministers about the possibility of getting it. Number three, consider joining this ministry in the future. Our first round of training is finished, but there will be more. It will change your life, I promise. And number four, never, ever let a wall stand. Never. Other people might, but not you, not me. Not us. Something there is that doesn't love a wall and wants it down. And you know who that is. In his own body on the cross, Christ broke down the wall of hostility that separate us and he made peace. There is not a single follower of Jesus Christ who can ever accept a wall. Not one. So let's pray. God, I pray that you'd help us to see the walls around us and to decide to tear them down. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about Horizon Church, please go to the website at horizonconnect.org. Have a great week.